Excited today to be continuing a series been on just for a few weeks. Uh, so if you're new today or this morning, you're jumping in at a very good time. It's always a good time, but and that is through the book of Galatians. Uh, this week will be kind of a part two to what we began last week, where what we began last week was to explore what Paul preached to the Galatian church as the gospel, that which he perceived, and rightly so, was under threat from those who were coming in from the outside to distort the gospel and undermine the apostle Paul and his ministry. Last week, as we were exploring what was the gospel that Paul preached, we are taking our cue from what Paul tells the Galatian church in the very first words of his letter, in this case, in verse 4. There, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus gave himself for our sins. So last week, we explored what does it mean to say that Jesus gave himself for our sins as an expression of the good news, saying that what is being proclaimed is that because of the finished work of Christ, he has initiated the new covenant, the covenant that cannot be broken because it's fulfilled by Jesus himself. And today we're going to be exploring the next half of that verse, that Jesus gave himself to deliver us from the present evil age. So if you have your scriptures with you, I invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 1, and we will be reading verses 1 through 7. The same as reading as we had last week. So, if you are able and willing, I invite you to stand as we read. We stand in honor of the Word of God and its reading. Starting in verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins and who gave himself to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but, they, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Though the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our Lord remains forever. Please be seated and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that you promise where two or three are gathered in your name that you are present with them. We pray, Holy Spirit, you would be present in this place and in our hearts. We pray that as our teacher, Holy Spirit, that we would better understand what is the gospel, what is the good news. And we pray, Lord, that wouldn't just simply be head knowledge, head understanding, but we pray that you would help us to understand and so that would seep into our heart and change who we are. Yet we know that the power of transformation lies not in our own strength, but in dependence upon you so we ask you to change us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today is a part two in what is the gospel. And want to open up with a word of encouragement about the nature of the gospel. 
This is the Apostle Paul from the book of Romans. He says, do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, that the good news proclaimed by Jesus is our hope. And that is good news indeed, particularly as we look out into the world around us and we see a lot of things that cause us to despair, things that cause us to be troubled. It's a reminder that our hope is not found in the world, but our hope is found in the gospel. And I hope that today we can ground ourselves in either greater measure in the gospel itself by better understanding what it is. So as we said, we are going to be exploring today the second half of Paul's explanation, or at least as he's laying out there, at least we're saying he's laying out there, or hinting towards the gospel that he preached to the Galatians. Last week we said that Jesus gave himself for our sins. This week this, that Jesus gave himself to rescue us from the present evil age. And so today's message is about this. What does it mean to say that Jesus rescued us from the present evil age? And is that really an expression of the gospel? and want to suggest that it is. And to connect Paul's words in Galatians 1-4 with the most commonly talked about topic from the Lord Jesus himself. What was the thing that Jesus talked about more than any other? Do you know? More than any other thing, what Jesus talked about over and over and over again, and he talked about many things, but this was the most prominent is what he called the kingdom of God. Jesus was here to bring and proclaim the kingdom. And when Jesus was proclaiming the kingdom, that is portrayed in a certain way as being an expression of the gospel. Now, we see that in Mark chapter 1. I want to show you a passage in Matthew chapter 4 that makes this explicit. In the end of Matthew chapter 4, the gospel writer Matthew gives us a summary statement of Jesus' ministry just prior to Matthew 5, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what Matthew says about Jesus' ministry. He says that Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Now, we know this phrase, good news, is the Greek word that could just as easily, and it's the same word, be be translated gospel. So when Jesus was proclaiming the kingdom, he was proclaiming the gospel, that the kingdom is the gospel. Now, that may not seem evident on the surface of it that Jesus proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom is connected with with Paul saying that Jesus delivered us from the present evil age. But I hope by the end of today's message, we will see that connection. And in order to make that connection, we have to go back and put on our first century thinking caps. A number of weeks ago, we said that uh, authority is found in Jesus Christ through the Scriptures rightly handled, and that rightly handling the Scriptures means that we read the Bible contextually, contextually meaning that we read it within the context of which it was written. So in order to understand uh, the Bible in its fullest sense, It's not that we can't see the gospel. Even a child can understand it. 
But to understand the fullest meaning of that, we, wanna, we need to understand it within the milieu, the first century of which it was written. And within the first century, there was a certain understanding about how human history would progress, where it was and where it was going. And that way of viewing the progression of human history was in terms of seeing human history in two ages. Even as we saw in Paul's words that he delivered us from the present evil age. And I want to show you this, and I'm going to do it on a whiteboard. And for people that know me well, they should be laughing, because normally when I talk about people teaching on whiteboards, I tell them, be nervous when you see someone with a whiteboard. You know, you know those videos? It's usually a guy in his basement you know, with a whiteboard telling you about how the world's going to end. <laughs> whenever anybody, by the way, if whenever one gives you a date for the end of the world, run away, okay? Just in general. So what I want to do is sketch out for you how this worked. Let's skip off of here. I tried doing it on Microsoft Word every single time. You ever use Microsoft Word? Every single time you draw something on Microsoft Word and you try to do something else, it flips it. It drove me nuts. So I just, now we'll use a whiteboard. So this is a first century Jewish understanding of how human history would progress. It's in two ages, two ages. I'll say two age. And the way this would work is that there was the age of which uh, someone like Paul the Pharisee would have seen him living in, um, and it would be called this age. Very original. It's also referred to as the present evil age. I'll call it evil age. And this was the age uh, in which sin is operative. There's rebellion against God. This is the age in which death would reign. And the hope was is that this age would then give way to something called the age to come. This age and the age to come. Now, what would make the, uh, the transition between the two ages through the Scriptures began to be seen in the work of an individual, an individual called the Anointed One, who would then come to sit on David's throne to inherit a kingdom without end, right? We see this through the Scriptures, and this would be seen as the Messiah. I'm going to draw a crown. How's that for a crown? That looks terrible. Within the hollow crown, which sits on the temple of a king. Okay. Now, the idea would be that eventually this age would culminate in the work of a Messiah. That Messiah and God working through the Messiah would bring judgment upon God's enemies. And then that would transition, usually seen through a, a, a resurrection or from the dead, to bring in the age to come. Now, the age to come is referred to in many different ways. Many different ways. And that shouldn't surprise us, and I want to get, just have some fun to give you an example. Uh, what is this? It's a sub-sandwich, yes? Now, it's not the only way this is referred to. It's also referred to as a hoagie. If you're in Pennsylvania, I'll have a hoagie. If you're in New England, it's called a grinder. Yes, if you live in uh, New York, what's it called? 
Hero. In some senses, hero is also something, a Greek thing. In New Orleans, what is it called? Po' boy. Yes, and you can just call it a sub, you can call it a sandwich. Anyway, the point is, is that it's very common to refer to one thing many different ways. So it's the same thing with the age to come. It's referred to many different ways. And I want to show you a few of them. One is called the age to come. It's also referred to by Jesus as the kingdom of God. We see this particularly in Luke's gospel and in uh, Mark's gospel. It's referred to as the kingdom of God. Matthew refers to it differently. Matthew refers to it as the kingdom of heaven. You also see it referred to as new creation. John's gospel refers to it more often as eternal life. It's also referred to as an inheritance, referred to many different ways. But this is all referring to the same reality, which is the age to come brought by the Messiah. So this is all going to culminate in the work of this Messiah. Now, by the way, does this make sense? Raise your hand if this makes sense. So just like kind of get a sense. Okay, it looks like most. Okay, good. So what I want to show you is that Jesus believed this. Jesus believed in this two-age understanding of human history. Then I want to show you that Paul believed it. And then we'll go from there. Because if Jesus believed it, should we believe it? Okay, that's good. Good. That's helpful. So I want to start off in the Gospel of Matthew. In the Gospel of Matthew, uh, they come to Jesus and, and talking about uh, blasphemy. And here's what Jesus says about blasphemy or sinning against first the Son of Man, then the Holy Spirit. He says, if anyone speaks a word against the Son of Man, he will be forgiven. But if anyone speaks against the Holy Spirit, they will not be forgiven either in this age or the age to come. So you see there's two different ages that are at work. Another example, and there's many, many. I'm just pulling out two. This one from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 20. In Luke, chapter 20, the Sadducees, who were a religious group uh, who did not believe in the resurrection because their authority was just in the first five books of the Torah, Resurrection became more prominent later on. Came to Jesus to ask him a question to catch him in an absurdity. And what they do is they ask Jesus this question. Okay, Jesus, there's a woman who marries a man. And that man dies. So because in the law, that woman would then need to marry that man's brother. So she does. And then that guy dies. Okay, then she has to marry that guy's brother, you know, on down the line, and there's seven of them, I think. In the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Who will be her husband in the resurrection? That's a great question. They're trying to catch Jesus in an absurdity. Now, look how Jesus answers it in relation to this. He says, the people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come, in the resurrection from the dead, will neither marry nor be given in marriage. So Jesus recognized there's a two-age to human history. There's this age and the age to come. Again, I want to show you this in Paul. So this is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul is describing people in this age, and here's what he says. There is what he calls a God of this age who has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel displayed in Christ, the image of God. So those in this age are under what's called the God of this age. In Ephesians chapter 2, he's called the prince of the power of the air, the God of this age. That that would be in contradiction of 
the Lord, who would be the one in charge of the age to come. 1 Corinthians 2 says this, we, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age. That means there's a a contrast between the wisdom of this age and the wisdom of the age to come, and saying the wisdom of the age to come, which he calls the wisdom of God, is foolishness to this age. Just like there's the rulers of this age. And that the rulers of this age, as it says at the end, understood the wisdom of the age to come, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, okay, again, making sense? This is like a lecture class, I'm sorry. But the reason why we're doing this is because this will help you make sense of the New Testament. This will help you, and it makes sense of the gospel. It's very important, actually. So, okay, so then something happens in the middle of this scheme, something very surprising. The surprising, by the way, can you guys over there see any of this? Or, oh, whatever, sorry. Something very surprising happens. There's this guy that comes along, Jesus. Jesus is very surprising. Jesus doesn't seem to fit what was supposed to be happening because what was this guy supposed to do, this Messiah? He was supposed to uh, defeat the Romans. He's supposed to defeat all of their enemies and establish a kingdom where they would rule over the world and all the nations would be subject to them. And here comes this Jesus, and he doesn't fit. By the way, did, think about even John the Baptist. If anyone should have been like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's him. yeah, he was. But then he wrote when he's in prison, and he sent his disciples to Jesus and says, are you really the guy? Because you don't seem to be doing it. He was surprising, Jesus was. And then something really surprising happened. What happened that was really surprising? He dies. Uh, game over. So if the Messiah is killed, game over. In fact, he's killed by the people that he's supposed to defeat. Imagine if Moses said, I am here to deliver your enemies, you know, from the Israelites back in the Exodus, and then Pharaoh kills Moses and throws him in the Nile. Game over, yeah? That's essentially what happens. Rome kills Jesus. Game over. That's why even after he's dead, when the disciples, when they're talking to the guy on the road to Emmaus, they said, we thought that he would, be the ones to, he would be the one to redeem Israel, but he obviously wasn't because they killed them. Now, what happened three days later? He rose from the dead. That's why the resurrection is described as the vindication of Jesus, because this said he's not the Messiah. This is his vindication that he was. And then what happens after he's risen from the dead? He ascends into the heaven in the ascension, and now where is he? At the right hand of God the Father, ruling over heaven and earth as all authority has been given to him. Now, here's the last thing that was surprising. What was supposed to happen was all this stuff was supposed to culminate in the work of a Messiah. This age was supposed to end, which would usher in the age to come. Now, what happened was, is in the life, death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus, Jesus, in the midst of this age, launches the age to come. So the age to come has begun. But the thing that was surprising, it's begun within this age. And there's an overlap. And here's where we are. This is us. 
And the Bible calls this the last days. We now exist in an overlap of this age and the age to come. They exist in tandem. Now, I want to show you this, not just because I say it, but because it has to be that the Scriptures say it. First place we'll look is in Colossians. Okay, first off, does that make sense? Okay, let's look at Colossians. Chapter 1, here's what the Apostle Paul says, is that the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the holy people in the kingdom of light. Again, the kingdom that's over here, which is often described as an inheritance. For he has rescued us from this. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He's rescued us from this present evil age, as we saw in Galatians 1. And he's brought us into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves, and whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. It's here. The old has gone because what's why when you're baptized, it's described as a crucifixion. You've died to this. You've died to the world. You've died to this present age, and you are raised to newness of life in the age to come now. The old is gone, the new is here. Now let's go to Galatians, because we say, why is this important for Galatians? Look what he says in chapter 6, verse 15, the Apostle Paul. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is new creation. See, Paul's issue is that the Judaizers were coming in, and they were pointing, they had a gospel, which he says there's no gospel at all, that was pointing this way. He says, you're promoting a gospel that is back in the age to come. I mean, back in the present age, the present evil age. Think about Galatians 4, and we'll get there eventually. We're not, we're, am I talking too fast? We are forecasting here. What does he say about the Jerusalem that was existent? From, he calls it the Jerusalem from below. He says that that is Hagar, and they are in bondage. So the earthly Jerusalem is Hagar in bondage. It belongs on this side of the equation. And he says those Judaizers are coming in promoting this. New creation has come. New creation is what he calls the Jerusalem from above and isn't Hagar but Sarah. So that's why this doesn't work. That's why he says it's not a gospel at all, because it's pointing towards that which is passing away. It's temporal. This is why in Galatians 5, he says that the life in this present age is empowered by something he called the flesh. The flesh is what motivates or makes this happen. What's over here? Spirit. So if you're going to live life in the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit, it's because you're being conformed to the age to come, but first you have to put to death the flesh, which is that which empowers this present evil age. Now, what does this mean or matter? So in essence, it's like this. You have to put to death the old life. You have to put to death this in order to live in the new life. One passage of Scripture, and then actually two of them will close. Look at, this is a very famous passage, but I want to show you what this is really saying. Romans 12, verse 2. 
famous, famous passage, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yes, we could probably all quote that uh, and know this verse. The actual trans... The way the... Okay. The Greek word for world is the word cosmos. That word is not here. It actually would be translated, do not conform to the pattern of this age. It's the word age. I could show it to you. It's not the word cosmos. So do not be conformed to the pattern of the present evil age is what Paul's saying. Don't conform to the pattern of this, but be transformed and be conformed to the pattern of this. And what does the pattern of this look like? Where do you want to go to learn what the pattern of this looks like, the pattern of the age to come? Who shows you? Jesus Christ. Jesus shows us of what does it look like to live in the age to come, particularly in the midst of this Jesus, which means we need to be led by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this age. And because of that, our hope, is is our hope found on this side? Because this is temporal. This is passing away. Our hope is not to be found on anything that's passing away. Which is why when we look out in the world, we see Rome burning, do I use it that way? That's why it should tell us our hope isn't found there. Our hope is found in that which is eternal. Hebrews 12 says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, you cannot do anything to this. Jesus says, I will build it. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Let us therefore be thankful and worship. We worship God because what he has done He has brought the powers of the age to come, as it says in Hebrews, that we are tasting the powers of the age to come, which it says in Galatians, I think it's Galatians, that the Spirit is given as a guarantee of a deposit of our future inheritance. So therefore, as we close, the gospel is the announcement that the kingdom of God has come. Therefore, repent, turn, and believe the good news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus has done it. Jesus has brought the age to come. Jesus has brought new creation. Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the sun. And Lord, because of that, you have made us to be inheritors in eternal life. And we pray that by the Spirit that you would conform us into the image of Jesus, which is the image of the man in the age to come. That we would put to death the deeds of the body, that we would no longer be in Adam, but be in Christ. And that we would, anew and afresh, have a vision of the kingdom, a vision of the kingdom, as you tell us, that would come on earth as it is in heaven today. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.